Welcome back again to the Renew Church Leaders Podcast. This is Jason. This is Dave, and we're continuing to hit on the highlights from The Gathering 2018. In this session, we're listening to Jim Putman discuss relational disciple-making. This dude, I would say, is passionate. He's fiery, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think uh, nobody has any trouble understanding exactly where Jim stands on relationship and disciple-making. Yes, (laughs) So, yeah, we just finished watching it, and uh, I remember watching him uh, that day. It was right after lunch, and so uh, Jim's a good, actually a really good speaker to have after lunch, because everybody comes back, stomach's full, and he doesn't let anybody sit back in their chair. I would not want to be caught falling asleep if Jim's on stage. (laughs) Yeah, He's going to call me out. (laughs) (laughs) That he would. So, um, yeah, Jim needs a little introduction. Uh, Many of you probably have heard him before, read something he's written. Um, He is uh, the founder of the Relational Discipleship Network, and um, they do a lot of good work. Also is um, an expert in relational discipleship and a partner of Renews, and we're so happy that he's a part of our network. If you're a church leader, you're listening to this, man, just get ready to be challenged. Uh, He talks about how God wants to build his church, not any church, not a church, but his church. So you can ask yourself, am I leading his church? How do I know that? And then he talks about those that come to see us. Are we just attracting a crowd of informed spectators, or are we making disciples that can make disciples? And how is that done? Through relationship. So let's hear a passionate Jim Putman unpack relational disciple-making. It's good to, good to be here. It's an honor to be here. Uh, My responsibility today is to talk about uh, the importance of relational discipleship. And the fact that I have to actually make that clarification seems a tad bit redundant and ridiculous to me, to be honest with you. Uh, I want to share with you that all of us uh, understand the fact, I think, I've heard it several times and I know you believe this, that our role is to... um, make disciples of all nations. Would you agree with that? We're all in agreement. And that the core purpose of the church is to make disciples that make disciples. We know that uh, Jesus came uh, from heaven to deliver the message in God the Son that, that you and I can be saved from our sin. And Jesus's primary purpose was to come and die on the cross for our sin to pay the price for that. But I want you to, I want to remind you that Jesus also came to make disciples because it doesn't really matter if you have a great message that something great has happened. If you don't have people that deliver the message, the message doesn't do you any good. And so Jesus came to die on the cross, but he also came to make disciples. And I want to, I want to say this. I believe that Jesus didn't just come to make disciples. He came to show us how to make disciples. I believe that Jesus is the greatest disciple maker in history. Would you you agree with that? And when Jesus said, now go into the world and make disciples, he didn't mean go do it any way you want. He meant go do what I have just done with you. Uh, One of the things that I think... uh, Uh, We say it quite often in in the circles that I get to run with. People like to divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus, but they want the results of Jesus. They'll say Jesus is divine. Jesus' teachings are divine. 
But you can make disciples any way you want. And I want to I challenge that. Again, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't say, go do it any way you want. I just did it with you. They knew full well what he meant. And if you go to Acts chapter 2, you see uh, them doing what Jesus did. Jesus spoke in large groups. He then went to their houses and ate with them and did life with them. If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you see the disciples living out what Jesus thought discipleship ought to look like. You know, we're restorationists, meaning that we don't have any desire to reform the church, but to restore it. And sometimes we want to restore the church's theology, but we don't want to restore the church's methodology. And that's a problem. That's a problem. You go to Matthew 28, and, and I believe that spiritual maturity, when Jesus said go make disciples, he meant go make spiritually mature disciples. So if we're going to make disciples, then we better know what that is. Because if we, if we misdefine uh, maturity in Christ, then, then we either never attain it or we lead people to the wrong thing. So if, even if you get everybody together going to the right place or to the wrong place, you still got everybody to the wrong place. So if we're going to make disciples, we better know what that looks like. And we better have an accurate definition. One of the, 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 I come from a Restoration Church background, and one of the things that always bothered me is that we got all hung up on the baptism and the teaching, but we missed the point of the teaching. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. Then he says something that's really important. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. They hang on these two commands, meaning everything written in the Old Testament is summed up in love God and love others. It's all summed up in relationship. So you can baptize people and you can teach them to obey, but if you don't understand that every law God ever gave was to protect or promote relationship. Everyone. God is a God of relationship. From the beginning, he's been a God of relationship. The Trinity has been in relationship for all eternity. When he created us, he wanted to invite us into a relationship. And in not just a relationship with God, but a relationship with other people. Because when God said it is good, it is good, it is good. He created this, it was good. He said something was not good. What was it? Man to be alone. Was man alone? No. He was walking with God. God's saying, I made you to be in relationship with me, and I made you to be in relationship with others. You need that. Now, sin destroys our relationship uh, with God, and ultimately, when that falls, our relationship with others falls, which is why Scripture says in 1 John, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then, as you connect back with him, then you have fellowship with one another. So relationship here leads to relationship here. We were created 
with a need for relationship, but because of sin, sin destroys relationship with God. Pride, God hates pride because it destroys relationship with himself. We won't let him be who he is. We won't follow him. Pride kills relationship with one another. God says, no, you're going to let me be God. Receive me for who I am, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want relationship with you. But part of that is surrendering to his plan for salvation rather than earning it. And part of it is surrendering to his position as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we do that, he starts to to reconnect us with one another. We're all about relationship, but because of sin, it's been lost. And the entirety of scripture is about God's pursuit to restore relationship with us. And in the end, there's a new heaven and a new earth where all relationship is restored. And, And the fruit of the spirit is all relational fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love. For who? Joy, peace with who? Patience towards who? Kindness towards who? Generous towards who? And see, what happens with Christians is we get hung up on Jesus as King and Lord, and we get hung up on baptism, we get hung up on the teaching, but we miss the whole point behind it, which is relationship. That's why Paul says this, you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but if you have not love, you're resounding gone. You've missed the whole point. You can offer your bodies to the flames. You can, you can sell your possessions and give to the poor, but if you have not love, you you're nothing. In other words, he says, listen, to the Corinthian church, you've got great teachers, great gifts, great this. You're fighting about the communion. You're fighting about, there's lawsuits. You're fighting about, I like Paul. I like Apollos. You've missed the whole point of all the commands. You're immature. We get hung up on the baptism. We get hung up on the, and rightly so, we're told to baptize. I mean, We surrender the Lord. That's a part of it. We're told to teach. But you can be baptized and even know the rules, but can be like the Pharisees who completely missed the point. They strained out the gnat and swallowed the camel. Missed the whole point that it's about relationship. And as the Holy Spirit comes into our life and as we understand who God is, then he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. It changes who we are. In a world that's built for relationship, but because of sin, they've got this desire for it, but they can't find it. The church was supposed to be this community of believers that was living in the wisdom and relationship of God so that those on the outside would go, I've been looking for that my whole life, and there it is. There it is, I want in. Maturity in Christ is important. But I also want you to understand that the methodology is important because if, the, if maturity in Christ, if maturity in Christ is, yes, I know what the Bible says and I follow Christ, yes, the, the Holy Spirit's moving in me and changing who I am, and yes, I'm committed to the mission of Christ, if that's really going on, and by the way, let me, let me just say this, even witnessing is an act of love because before, they were my enemy, but now because God loves them, they're children, lost children of God, I, I'm going to love them too because he does. And the b- greatest form of worship that I can ever give to God, the greatest thankfulness I can ever do is point one of his lost children back home. You want to gr- bring glory to God. Point one, you want to thank him for what you've done? You don't do it because you have to, so you can say, I got more people that I wanted to Jesus. No. 
uh, so I can be elevated, I'm a great evangelist. No, it's, it's like the greatest form of thank you to God when you see one of his prodigal kids far from home and you say, your God, your father wants you to come home. Please come home. Your honor, everything's about love. So it makes sense that if it's all about love, that you learn to love in loving relationships. When Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that, we say it this way, in the invitation is the definition. You're gonna, you're gonna be my disciple, you're gonna follow me, I'm gonna, you're gonna be changed. I'll take his yard, but I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna, you're gonna see from my perspective, I'm gonna show you the truth. You're gonna, you're gonna love the way I love. You're gonna, instead of judging the tax collector, you're gonna go in and love them. You're changing, and then you're gonna be committed to my mission because you're gonna see a different value system, a different reality. You're gonna see the world. You're gonna see from my perspective. You're, listen, as you do this, you're gonna change. It makes sense that Jesus said within that definition, you're gonna follow me, you're gonna be changed by me, you're gonna be committed to my mission. Within that is also embedded a methodology. Jesus said, you're gonna be my disciple. Come with me. Come be with me. In relationship, yeah, we'll have big group teaching stuff, but afterwards we're gonna talk. You're gonna go, what in the world did you mean? I'm gonna see how you lived your life. I'm gonna teach you, not just by standing up in front of you in a crowd. I'm gonna do, you're gonna see how I do life, how I respond. You're gonna know how to respond to things because you're gonna see me respond. You're gonna know who I value. The culture you came from says Samaritans don't even go in the country, but I'm gonna go there so that you can see how I feel about the Samaritans. You're gonna, you're gonna see how I deal with lepers. You're gonna see what I value in giving. Who gave the most? You're gonna see how I see things and it's gonna change you. And how are you gonna learn that? In relationship. And the early church followed that model. They went from house to house. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, by the way. Because they said that the Bible is the word of God, it came from Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is why everything that came after that flowed from that. So they were devoted to fellowship, koinonia. They were devoted to it the habits of it. Then they were devoted to the breaking of bread, communion, and doing life in house to house. Then they were devoted to prayer. Why were they devoted to those other things? Well, because the apostles' teachings said that's what we do in practice. Why were they devoted to giving? That's what you do. The apostles' teachings leads to a changed life, and it came from Jesus, and it has authority. See, the problem with our methodology is this. We've replaced Jesus' methodology with a quick, easy way, and the pastors have become, rather than the coaches and the equippers, raising up a spiritual army to release people, they've become someone who puts on a good show and gathers a crowd. Winning is how many come to watch me, not how many of we move from a person who, yes, comes, but then goes to house to house, then learns how to go to life to life, and then they take it in their own homes, and in every place they work, live, and play. See, the church was supposed to be a place where we release an army, but instead we gather crowds and we teach about things. Jesus didn't use that methodology. How many of you remember the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Notice, Jesus. why did Jesus teach that lesson? Because he's walking with them and he hears them arguing about who the grace of the kingdom of heaven is. So here's what he does. He goes, you know what? I need to have a three-part sermon series on being a servant. I need to teach that. He says, no, 
I'm going to wait. When he gets to the place in the upper room, he takes off his cloak and he washes his disciples' feet. And it changed the way they saw leadership. How did Jesus know they needed to hear it? He was with them. How did he teach them? He modeled. They never forgot it. And he said, now I've washed your feet. Go wash other people's feet. And and they did something. They didn't just teach about something. They did it. I'm an athlete, and I'm going to close with this illustration. Okay, let me say it this way. I used to be an athlete. I went from this to this. Now I'm working on this. Okay? Let me just close it like this. Uh, When I first got saved, I said I'd never be a part of the church. Because in my mind, the church was hypocrisy, a lot of baggage and hurt. But ultimately, as an athlete, I thought, I... And I don't want to be a part of a losing team, and the church is a losing team. It's not even keeping the ones they have. It's certainly not taking ground. And I actually had to wrestle with Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I actually went through a season where either Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, or he's just flat wrong. Because, the, I mean, in America, we're closing 100 churches a month right now. We're in decline so how are we winning? And, and, and then I, the person who discipled me said, notice that Jesus didn't say, I will build a church. It has to be my church. Is it possible that there are a lot of churches that are churches, but they're not his church? God has no obligation whatsoever to bless a church. He only blesses his. I was like, oh, okay. You mean the church can be a winning team? What does that look like? As a, as a, I, I, before that disciple maker invested in me, I'd been to church, and I, I just, for me, the church was this place where everybody went, they listened to somebody, they stood up, sit down, ate a little cracker, you know, got wet, which I, you know, didn't really change the way they lived their life, because I knew these people outside of the place, and, and it was, they didn't work together, they were, and, but in, I was on a national championship team several times. And I saw what a team looked like. I saw what commitment looked like. I saw how they worked together. I saw all that. I just didn't see it in the church, right? And so my disciple maker asked me, where, if you were a disciple of anything right now, where would it be? And I said, well, I'm a disciple of wrestling. He said, what does a disciple of wrestling do? Well, they know how to wrestle top, bottom, and neutral. They know how to wrestle. They're not only do they know the moves and the rules, but they can actually do it against a competitor of the highest level, and they can even teach it to other people. I was like, huh. He went, yeah, that's, that's a disciple. He said, uh, how did you become a disciple of that? I said, well, I got invited to it by this kid who said, you know, you're pretty tough, but I could, you, could, you could learn how to be, be like really tough. And I was like, tough? Yeah, okay. So I go and I start going and they have this little big group session. Then they break you into twos and they have coaching and they show you stuff and they work with you and you wrestle and you practice. So, and, 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 and then you, then you, you, uh, you have, uh, then the older kids start to teach the younger kids and then you have competitions and then they start, they start slow. They start building you up till you can take on anybody anywhere. And I mean, it takes time. And then wrestling is not just about being able to do the moves. You got to be in shape. It doesn't matter what moves you know how to do. If you're not in shape, you can't breathe after 30 seconds. Those are the shape, the, the stamina part of it. And then, not only that, but when you're cutting weight and you're banged up and hurt, you got to have the encouragement of other people 
to get you through the tough times because wrestling's not like a sport where I come from where like, you know, football people in the stands, you know, cheering for you. There's like 10 people in the room and you're battling out, you're cutting weight and there's not a lot of glory and it hurts a lot. And so you're going, okay, you're not doing it for the glory. So the encouragement you get from other like-minded people get you through all the dark times of not eating and not drinking and all the stuff that goes along with it. And so he's saying, and I said, that's what a disciple is in wrestling, and this dawned on me, what if I used the church's methodology to make disciples on wrestling? What would I have? Well, I'd, I'd show one move in a group like this a couple times, maybe a half an hour. I might even wrestle live. You're sitting there watching. I go, hey, okay, come back next week, and I'll show you a different move. And if you really want to look into this more, then get with your little brother or sister and wrestle around a little bit that way. And, or get with your friends in the backyard. But I'll be back here next week and I'll show you another move. I'll show you another. Never set you up by twos, never give you any coaching, never walk through stuff, never help you build relationship. You just all come, check a box. What if I used in wrestling the methodology the church uses to make disciples? The best you would ever be is informed spectators who couldn't actually do anything. That's it. That's all you'd be. But what if I used what we know about real discipleship in a sport and applied it to the church? And then I went, wait a minute. That's what Jesus did. which is why he unleashed an army of people that had stamina and strength and togetherness and they changed the whole world. See, I'm all about baptizing. I'm all about teaching. You can't miss the point of teaching. See, it makes sense that in relationship you learn to be relational, which is maturity. It makes sense that when you make disciples, those people change the world. And by the way, wrestling is one of the only biblical sports. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And let me just tell you that we haven't raised up very many wrestlers who wrestle, for, wrestle spiritually for their own kids, their own families. What we've done is created spectators who, when, you, when all you do is let them criticize or critique, don't get mad when that's what they do really well. They're those guys that are watching a foot. They never played football, and they're yelling at the quarterback for not throwing the ball on, uh, you know, in, on, in the NFL. Throw it to him. He's open. Dude, you're a fat guy who eats potato chips all the time. All you know is what he should do, but you couldn't do it yourself. You couldn't do anything. But then we have to go, but whose fault is that? If that's the only job we gave them, and they're good at it, then don't get mad. Thanks, guys. Wow. Yeah, Jim, passionate as usual. What'd you think? It was awesome, man. I mean, he hit it right on the head. Yeah, he comes out right up front in the beginning. He's like, man, this is redundant. I don't even know why I have to talk on this. But I got to tell you something. Um, You know, I'm so close to it. I almost share that frustration sometimes of his. But at the same time, 
you know, I just, I, I'm running right now and I'm just a learner like everybody, but um, I'm running in a pack of like disciple making experts and they know that relationship is key in making disciples that make disciples but I'm I'm so or I guess I should say I'm less surprised now that we run into new church leaders that are asking for our coaching and our help and um it's it's a church where the culture is not one of relationship it's one of oh yeah disciple making well we hired a discipleship guy and so I think that's being taken care of somehow you know it's like we we got the discipleship pastor on staff so you know he's he's off doing that we're making disciples you know <laughs> but but really it's more like maybe a church like he described where it's like hey come back sunday i'll show you another move yeah that was a big moment when he was describing that you know what's weird is like you could read or i've read through the bible you know a lot and have missed the fact about jesus method of disciple making you know like when i first came on board a couple years back it was all new to me i was like oh that makes sense because jesus wasn't constantly preaching sermons I mean, even he did that. It was, he was with his disciples ninety percent of the time, you know, with the twelve or with three, and like, that's right. How did I miss that? I, I guess I was just kind of trained by like my like I was raised in the South and went to a Southern Baptist church and great people, you know, nothing against that, but just what I walked away from it was we go to Sunday and we get spoken to, we sing some songs, we feel good. How you doing? Great. Let's eat lunch. Bye. You know what I mean? And that was it. We don't see each other during the week. And that was what I was trained to do. And I would also go to the scriptures to answer whatever question I had. Oh, what, what does God say about this? Or what does he say about that? I'm going to go to the Bible and find that. Instead of reading it and going, what was Jesus doing? How can I model my whole life around what he did? I think that's such a good way to frame things up. It's like, what, you know, what was Jesus doing? What did Jesus teach? He said, go and make disciples and do it the way that I just showed you how to do it. Um, he didn't say, you know, go convert and leave them, go plant churches, go show them a new move on Sunday morning. Um, you know, it's it's like, it's almost controversial, but like Jesus wasn't all about contemplative spiritual formation. He was about methods of disciple making um, that are relational. Um, he, you know, he had rhythms. He did it in crowds and then smaller groups, and then he broke bread. And I mean, it's not less than spiritual formation, but man, it was so much more. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Renew actually exists. We we want people to understand that methodology is important. And actually, our sibling organization, uh, Discipleship.org, is all about Jesus's methods of disciple making. But then Renew brings Jesus's teachings to fuel disciple making. And so you've got his teachings, which are really important, and his methods. And you can't really have one without the other. I think Jim even touched on it. Like, People want to divorce methods from teachings or divorce teachings from methods, but you need both of what Jesus did to make really great fourth generation level five disciple makers. Yeah. What he said was people divorce, they want to divorce the method from the theology, but they still want the same results as Jesus had. Yeah. They get hung up on like, all right, let's baptize. Okay, let's just teach. And it's not less than that, but there's so much more. And that's where the relationship comes in. Another thing that Jim said that really stuck out was, um, he says, Jesus tells us, I'll take you as you are, but you're going to change to be like me. And I think this might be taking the conversation in a different way, but that last half is something that I just feel like my generation forgets. It's like, come as you are. Jesus loves you how you are. And that is totally true. He does love us and he meets us where we are. 
but then he starts to bring us to where he is. Yeah. He starts to move us. He, like he's, We're going to be like him. We're going to see the world like him. And we're going to do things the way that he did them. We, we always uh, use the phrase, trust and follow. Um, when I was growing up in our church, the, the term, there was an old classic hymn, trust and obey. And so we can't leave sanctification out of the process. Nobody has it right. I don't have it right. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about Harpeth Christian Church where we go. Um, you know, we, we are the first to admit that we don't get everything right. However, we're trying hard every day to do better. And it's part of that relationship building um, where I think it's so important that we put emphasis on public righteousness because, um, you know, step one is build a relationship with others, especially those that may be lost. But step two is winning a hearing. And um, it's, it's hard to justify a message. I mean, I, I think I heard somebody say once, there'd be more Christians if it weren't for all the Christians. You know? <laughs> I've heard that too. It's hard to win a hearing with somebody if, if they can't see you actively trying to do better. It's not about getting it perfect, but it's about um, you know, showing how hard you're trying to follow the teachings of the one that you claim to be king. Yeah. I like the phrase winning a hearing. You know, like uh, I've heard some of our pastors say, sometimes you got to wade through a lot of small talk before it gets to that real conversation part where you're the person that you're trying to enter into a discipling relationship with finally opens up about who they really are. You know, it's it's getting coffee and talking about the Preds game or Super Bowl or politics, whatever it is. And then eventually something's going to happen and it's going to go there. And that's when you're you having your own theology in line. That's where that comes into that's play. That's when the good stuff know? happens. And one, one of the things that I feel like um, the people that have discipled me have done really well is the times where I've fallen down or have failed, there's been grace there and no judgment there, but an encouragement to get back up and keep going. And I think that's so crucial. And that's what's so different about the way it was when I grew up is I just kind of had this like p- position of you're a bad person and you need this, as opposed to you're a person and I'm going to love you and I'm going to be your friend. Yeah. And, but I'm also going to tell you, you don't have to stay in the junk where you are. There's a different way you can do things and you're going to fall. When you fall, I'm still not going to look down on you. I'm just going to say, Get back up and let's keep going. That is the that's the thing that gives people stamina when it comes to following Jesus and having the what we call faithful faith is that it's real. It's not oh you messed up, it's over. You're out. Get out of here. It's a oh no, I'm so sorry you messed up. Come back up here with me. Let's keep going. Yeah, and also in the relationship, it's it's being brave enough to um, I, I guess get intimate with that person in terms of talking about, okay, you messed up. You want to talk about that? I'm, we're not afraid of it. We're not going to hide it you know, in a, in a closet. We're not going to shove it under a carpet. Um, that, that's, that, that's something else that smacks of a good disciple-making church, I think, is uh, being able to talk about the hard stuff and the hard topics that we uh, can all struggle with, um, and, and, and then also providing that grace that you mentioned. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, and I'm probably a, a point of fear for people that are like hesitant to get into discipling relationships is stuff does come up and it gets real. And then at that point, you know, are we going to be churches that sweep that stuff under the rug and keep the show going? Are we going to be churches that, you know, we, we get dirty, get our hands dirty with our people to help them out. You know, it's, it's tough work. It's not easy, but 
every step of the way, I just feel God just being like, keep, keep going. This is it. This is happening. This is discipleship right here. Keep doing that. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's wrestling. That's the real wrestling oh, yeah. Jim was talking about. That, that's, the, that's the one main thing I walked away from the whole thing is, let's watch WrestleMania <laughs> and eat potato chips. Right. <laughs> I got one job I want to get good at, eating potato chips. All right, well, on that note, uh, we, uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. Please come back. Uh, we love to share more of the highlights from the Renew Gathering, maybe, um, maybe some other great stuff in store this season. Um, and please, once again, if you like what you're hearing here, coming up in November, November 6th, keep in mind in 2019, we have another Renew Gathering. And tickets are on sale now. You can go to renew.org. So for Renew, this has been Jason. This is Dave. Take care, guys. Take care, guys.